I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 10. We will look at verses 1 through 5. Today we consider unknown men who made a difference. Judges 10, 1 through 5. And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dadu, a man of Iskar. And he dwelt at Shamar in Mount Ephraim. And he judged Israel twenty and three years and died and was buried in Shamer. And after him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and judged Israel twenty and two years. And he had thirty sons that rode on thirty ascoats, and they had thirty cities, which are called Havothjer unto this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cayman. When you come through the book of Judges, you're immediately encountered with the ministries of Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, and Gideon. All of these with the exception of Shamgar, led the people of Israel to outstanding military victories. Now, in the list I just mentioned, one person, one man stands out as being different. I'm referring to Shamgar. He's considered to be one of the minor judges, and there's six minor judges in all. Shamgar, the two men mentioned in our text today, Tola and Jair, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. The reason these men are called minor judges is because they were no military, great military leaders like Deborah and Gideon. They were men who helped maintain the peace in the nation of Israel. And while they may not have been mighty in military exploits, they were just as important to the nation of Israel as those judges that led the nation to great military victory. Now today, as we continue our stint of study in the judges of Israel, we're going to consider the lives and ministry of two of those minor judges today. We examine the lives of Tola and Jair. And while the Bible has very little to say about these two men, their lives and their deeds have much to teach us. And I want you to see that God delights in using unknown servants to help his people 
glorify his name and build his kingdom. As the Lord gives liberty today, we will address uh, a couple of these unknown men who made a tremendous difference. Now consider with me the, the principles that are revealed in the lives of these unknown men because in verse 1 we see that they inherited a mess. Verse 1 brings us to remembrance of a man by the name of Abimelech. His story is found in Judges 9, and Abimelech was the son of Gideon by his concubine. We see that in Judges 8 and verse 31. After the death of Gideon, Abimelech uh, determines within himself that he will be the ruler of Israel. He convinces his mother's people, the Shechemites, to support him in his quest to become the king of Israel. Now the men of Shechem confer among themselves and they decide to help Abimelech. They give him 70 pieces of silver in Judges 9 verse 4. And using that money, Abimelech hires a group of thugs to help him achieve his goal. Abimelech takes these men to his father's house. He kills 69 of his 70 half-brothers. The youngest, a boy named Jotham, he escapes, and after this, the men of Shechem declare Abimelech to be their king. Now, after his anointing, Abimelech ruled as the king for three years, according to Judges 9 and verse 22. At the end, the men of Shechem turned on Abimelech, and there was war between them and the followers of the king. Now, in the midst of an attack upon the walls of Thebes, Abimelech got too close to the wall, and a woman threw a piece of millstone from the wall and hit Abimelech in the head. That's found in Judges 9, verse 53. Now, knowing that he was dying, Abimelech commanded one of his men to kill him with a sword so that it would not be said that Abimelech had been killed by a woman. And by the time that Abimelech was dead, the nation of Israel is left in tatters from a vicious civil war. Military upheaval isn't the only problem that the nation faced. The Bible tells us that as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned their backs on God and they gave their worship to the Canaanite fertility god of Baal. Now, as a result of all of these problems, the nation of Israel is in a mess. This was the nation that was inherited by Tola and Jair. And I want to share, share with you a couple of principles right here, right now. That is, number one, God always has a remnant. In Israel, things were bad. The nation is at war with itself, and the majority of the people are worshiping idols. In the midst of all that, God still has a faithful remnant. That fact has never changed. When Elijah entered the Valley of Depression, he came to believe that he was the only person in the country that was living for God and doing right. He soon found out that God has a remnant in Israel. God always has a remnant. And Elijah is told that there is still 7,000 that had not bowed their knees to Baal. 1 Kings 19 and verse 18. My friend, God still has a remnant. In this day of increasing immorality and rampant wickedness, God still has a faithful people who love him, serve him, and live for him. And there are still people who have a prayer closet. There are still people who believe the Bible is the infallible, indestructible, indispensable, inspired word of God. 
There's still people who love the church. And there's still people who tell a lost world about Jesus Christ. My friend, there's still a people who sing, shout, testify, and honor God. While this remnant might not be in the majority, they're still here for the glory of God. Second thing I'd point out to you is this. Serving God is not always easy, but it is always right. Now, it must have been very difficult for Tola and Jair as they dealt with the problems left behind by Abimelech and as they dealt with the idolatry of the nation. It's not an easy road today in ministry, but they ministered anyway. And we can learn a lot from their example. It's not always easy to walk in the old baths when everyone around us is trying to find something new that works, but it is right. It isn't always easy to live for God when others around you are living for the world, the flesh, and the devil, but it is right. It isn't always easy to do the right thing when others around you are acting in bad ways and exhibiting total depravity, but it is always right. The fact that we can make a choice to live for God even when everyone else seems to be going their own way and living for themselves, our duty is not to look to them, but to look to him who perfectly ran his own race, and he will enable us to run ours as well. Now, friend, our world is in a mess. No one can argue that. We can lay blame for that anywhere we like. We can blame Washington. We can blame the modern contemporary churches. We can blame one another. But at the end of the day, the blame rests right here. The people of God are partially to blame for the condition of the world around us. When 20% of evangelical Christians only showed up to vote in the 2020 election, Stop saying that election was stolen. You sorry things, you gave it away. You can't even show up to vote. You can't show up for the house of God. The people of God, my friend, are partially to blame for the condition of the world around us. We have ceased to do right. We have stood by silent while the world has embraced evil. And it's time for the remnant of God to stand up and fight for those things that we have left. It's time to fight for the family. It's time to fight for the home. It's time to fight for the church. It's time to fight for the community. And my friend, it is time to fight for your children. If we fail to stand for what is important today, we cannot complain when it's taken away from us tomorrow. But I'd also point out to you, in verses 1 through 5, we see the ministry they performed. These two men may not have led any great military campaigns they may not have commanded great armies. They may not have left a, a legacy of great spiritual achievements. But what they did accomplish deserves recognition. What they did still challenges us today. These men helped maintain peace for nearly 50 years in a nation split apart by war, rebellion, and pagan worship. That 
in itself is no small feat. When there were no attacks from the outside, they helped prevent the nation from being ripped apart from the inside. Theirs was a ministry of peace in a time of turmoil. And these men also helped to preserve the heritage of their nation. They ministered to the faithful remnant in Israel in a time when that fading remnant needed consistent leadership. Tola and Jair did in their day exactly what we are to be doing in our day. They were sought to Israel. Jesus said that his people are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5 and verse 13. Salt, as you know, purifies. It has flavor to bland foods, and it helps pre preserve meat. In Bible times, salt was more valuable than money. The ancient Romans used to give their soldiers their uh, pay in salt rather than money. That's where the word salary comes from comes from the Roman words, salarium, in which speaks of a soldier being paid in salt. The phrase, not worth his salt, comes from that practice. When Jesus called his people the salt of the earth, he uses it as a metaphor that teaches about the influence his people are in the world today. Why? Because he's speaking about a preserving influence. You see, salt wards off rot and decay. It's rubbed into meat as an effort to preserve it. Now think back with me to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. They could have been saved by the preserving influence of just 10 righteous men. And so it is with America today. I'm convinced that the presence and the prayers of salty Christians has done more to preserve this nation than anything else we could name. It is the righteousness of God's children that made America great, and it is what keeps this country afloat. But then also we must consider that our influence must be penetrating. Salt will penetrate and infiltrate whatever it touches. Thus, it's an aggressive substance. Think back with me of the early church. They were aggressive. They didn't have everything that we have today, but they turned this world upside down for Christ. I believe that we've been called by the Lord to be an active force in the world around us. The church should be a militant army charging the very gates of hell. Because we also offer a purifying influence. You know another thing about salt? Salt has remarkable cleansing ability. 2 Kings chapter 2, 19 through 22. Elisha cleansed the waters at Jericho with salt. In ancient times, newborn babies were washed in salt to cleanse their bodies and to give firmness to their skin. Salt in a womb can cleanse the area. 
Oftentimes, Christians have a purifying effect on the world around them, and they ought to behave differently when the child of God walks up. Don't be offended if they stop talking when you come around. Just thank God that you're acting as a purifying force in the world around you. Every meat offering, offering in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, every meat offering was to be made with salt. And so it is with our lives. We're to offer our lives as an offering to the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. When we do, it proves that we're actually worth our salt. We also have a pleasing influence. That is, bringing out the best, salt blends and adds flavor to food. In fact, there's some foods that are better off not eaten if there's no salt. Now, the Christian should flavor the world around him. And as salt, we ought to live our lives that we bring out the best in those around us. That's what Jesus did time and time again. And that, what you and I, that's what you and I are supposed to be doing for his glory. But then listen to me, salt kills some things as well. That is, we have a poisoning influence. Have you ever poured salt on a slug? Slugs and salt do not mix. In fact, if you go out and pour salt on a lawn, it will kill the grass. Too much salt is not good for your blood pressure. My friend, we have got to be that poisoning influence in the world by our Christian testimony. And my friend, we have plenty of slugs in our government and in our Congress. We have to be that salt. Now, Abimelech in Judges 9 verse 45 took a city and, the, and sowed the city with salt to prevent the ground from being used to grow crops. He killed the fields with salt. And by the same token... True Christianity is sowed in the lives and homes and communities of the world. Some things will be put to death. We can make an impact on our world by the mere fact that Christianity is pure poison to sin. When Jesus comes into a life, drinking, cussing, fighting, hating, killing, drugging, loose living, etc., all put to death as we yield to him. The Bible says we've been made new creations in Christ. Another thing salt does is it creates a thirst for water for, uh, in those who are exposed to it. Now, as salt, a Christian has the wonderful opportunity to promote a thirst for Christ in the world. Remember what Jesus told us? He said that out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water, John 7, 37 and 7, uh, 38. When we live as believers should... When we take the call of Jesus seriously and live right, look right, act right, talk right, worship right, we have the ability to create a thirst for Christ in the hearts of those around us. And when that happens, we point men to Christ and we share with them the water of life. Sadly, most believers do not promote thirst, but ridicule instead. Too often we live substandard immoral lives and the world sees and the world looks at us and the world says, why should I receive Jesus? I live just as good as the crowd downtown at church. The sad truth is they're often right. So we have to live our lives so that we can ever prove them wrong. 
Our lives must be above reproach if we're to create a thirst for God in the world around us. Salt changes everything it touches. We have a proven influence. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers in the world around us. We're to be the instruments that God can use to implement change in a wicked world. And when genuine New Testament Christianity touches the sinful, wicked world, there's going to be change in some variety. We just need to be sure that we're changing the world, not the world changing us. There's a modern mentality out there that says we have to be like the world to win the world. That's stupid. Complete idiocy. We'll win and we'll see more people saved when we're like Christ. Tola and Jair carried out a very important ministry in Israel. And God used them to touch a nation. And God used them to maintain peace. And God used them for his glory. And that's the mark of a successful ministry. But notice also in verses 1 through 5, the message they preach. Tola and Jair served for a total of 45 years. They didn't lead any armies. They did not build cities. They did not write books. What they did was far more important. These men stood for God in an evil day. Their lives, though little is recorded about them, their lives still preach to us today. Let me show you a few lessons here we can learn from these unknown men. There's a lesson in their own names. Tola means crimson worm. It speaks of the caucus worm found in oak trees, and these worms were used to produce the red dye that was used in articles made for the tabernacle. It comes from the Hebrew root tala, which means to be clothed in scarlet. Tola is the son of Pua. His name means light, thus Tola was the son of light. In his name, Tola is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tola was a man who, though humble and through humble service and self-surrender, became the Savior of Israel. He reminds, of, uh, reminds us of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Our Savior was literally clothed in scarlet when he gave his life for the sins of the world. Jesus even called himself a worm in Psalm 22 and verse 6. Tola reminds us of the Lord who humbled himself so that he might save lost sinners from their sins. Jair. His name means the enlightener. He reminds us of our Lord who is the son of righteousness, Malachi 4.2, and the light of the world, John 8 and verse 12. And we're told that Jair was a wealthy man who was able to give all 30 of his sons their own donkeys. He was also able to give each son his own city. And this reminds us of the Lord Jesus who owns everything and shares everything he owns with us. Romans 8 and verse 17. 
In addition, Jair is associated with donkeys. The donkey is an animal associated with peace, and like the horse, which was always associated with war, Jair was a man of peace in a world filled with turmoil. He speaks of our Savior, who is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. God raised up Jair to bring peace to a nation. And God raised up Jesus to bring peace to our souls and to reconcile us to the Lord. Jair had sons who were ambassadors of peace to the nation of Israel. Jesus has children who are his ambassadors of peace and salvation to the entire world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 But wait, there's more. There are other lessons here from their lives. You don't have to be famous to make a difference. Tola and Jair are not well known, but their lives made a difference for thousands of people living in Israel in that day. The same is true for you. Some people think that they cannot be used of the Lord because they're not well known. Just remember that God has placed you exactly where he wants you. He knows where you are, and when he has a bigger assignment for your life, he'll come get you, and he'll use you in ways that you can never imagine. Your duty is to grow where you are planted and to keep doing the last thing he told you to do until he gives you something different to do. David tended his sheep. Moses tended his flocks. Peter, Andrew, James, and John tended their nets. You do not have to accomplish great deeds to live an extraordinary life. Tola and Jer never did anything extraordinary, but their lives still testify today. And most of us will never be famous, nor will we ever accomplish great things after the world standard. Even though you may not accomplish things this world calls great, your life can still be extraordinary. If you live for Christ, faithfully serve him and raise your family to honor him and his word and tell lost people about Christ, your life is extraordinary. Here's something else we learn from them. God can help you make the best of a bad situation. Tola and Jair inherited a country in trouble. God gave them the ability to hold that nation together for nearly 50 years. There are going to be times of crisis that you're going to go through, you're going to walk through, you're going to feel like you're engulfed, but God's going to lead you through it, and he's going to give you the grace to thrive in the midst of hardship. Listen to me, friend. When God is honored, he honors those who honor him. Tola and Jer did not accomplish anything that stands out, but just at a look at their length of their, of their judgeship, reveals that they were consistent. They they stood for the Lord for many years and God honored their faithfulness. Few things honor the Lord like being faithful to him. It is his desire that every one of his children live a faithful, consistent life. In this day, I want to encourage you, keep living for God regardless of what's going on around you. Keep living for him even when things are lean. Keep living for him when things fall away. Keep living for him even when you're attacked. Keep standing. Keep standing for God.